welcome to I'll Marry You, a podcast with me, Olivia Coleman, full of tips and tricks from the UK wedding scene, interviews with industry experts, and a whole lot of oversharing. Good afternoon, good evening. This is super, super live. Well, it's not live, but it's super, super current. I'm literally recording this less than two hours after you're hearing it, if you're such a fan that you're listening to it as soon as it's out the gate. We had a technical difficulty. I don't understand it. I can't explain it to you. It's way above my head. It's way beyond my level of intelligence. But there was an issue. And so I've had to re-record. So I've been at, I say I've been at work all day. Like, What does that even mean when you work for yourself and you work from home? I've been at home. <laughs> I'm sat on my arse. No. Do you know, actually, I just got back from um, trialing a co-working space, which was so much fun. Although the thing is, is being in a co-working space and I say that because it's been so long now since I've been in an office with other people. Um, and I guess a lot of you out there might sort of have experienced this during lockdown and since perhaps if you work from home or you work on your own. Is that it reminds me a little bit of like being at school and it makes me want to misbehave, you know, like there are other people around and I kind of want to know what they're up to. And then they take a phone call and I want to listen um, I said to the woman showing me around, she was like, what's made you think suddenly that you need to work in a communal area rather than just from home? And I was like, because I keep watching Love is Blind. And she laughed like I wasn't serious, but I was deadly serious. I was like, I look at it as research and I do get my work done, but I need, I need to focus. And it's just getting so, so busy. Like I need to go somewhere to do it. Um, what she didn't know is that on my laptop, I was watching Love is Blind. From the, from the co-working, only on my lunch break, which is an odd concept in itself when you are your own boss, but it was brilliant. And then I've just come home and this is totally off piece and you probably don't give a shit, but do you know what's really getting my goat? I, do you know what? I'll tell you. I will tell you. People on my street don't leave the house. And if they do, they must walk or cycle or fly or run or prance, or dance, or skip, or frolic. I don't know, but you know what they don't do? They don't move their cars. They don't move their cars. So they park outside my house, and they leave their vehicles there for for what feels like decades. And it's driving me up the wall, and to the point now where, just another illustration of my piss-poor parenting, when I go and pick Lola up from childcare and I bring her back, she looks... <laughs> If she sees there's a car outside the house, she's like, oh, mama, mama, there's a car outside our house. Why do they do it, mama? Mama, why? You know, and she's not wrong. Why do they do it? So if anyone on my street is listening, move your bloody car. Thanks. Shall we begin? So I've decided that it's about time I do another moderately helpful episode. Um, I can't promise these episodes are super helpful, but moderately helpful, I feel like, is a standard that even I can reach. So today I wanted to talk to you about rituals. Ritual. Ritual. So in the ceremony, I mean, rituals, I'm not even, I'm I'm not going to do that like um, dictionary thing where I explain the word and all that bollocks. Um, But I'm talking about rituals in a ceremony, in a wedding ceremony. So one of the things that is quite common with a celebrant led ceremony is a ritual. Because I suppose you're not having necessarily a religious ceremony. You can have religion in it, but it's not a ceremony in a church. It's not a predominantly religious ceremony. 
So you don't have that level of perhaps, I don't know, pomp and circumstance, of that level of tradition, that level of religion. And then in a civil ceremony, you can't. So quite often, also to illustrate the legality of what you're doing without the legality of what you're doing, because you've already got legally married elsewhere, a ritual is a nice um, example, a nice moment in the ceremony to illustrate something, to signify something um, through other means, through nice gestures, nice symbols, nice rituals. It's almost like I knew what I was talking about, isn't it? So the vow exchange ritual, obviously, you exchange vows. You exchange vows in a church, you exchange vows in a civil ceremony, and you do it in a celebrant-led ceremony as well. Unlike with the other two, you can write your own from scratch. Um, not a lot of my couples write their own from scratch. They quite often use the standardized vows that I sent them. Send them, sorry. But, but either way, regardless, I think the vow exchange ritual is a really important one. And it's one that no matter how you do it, it should be personal to you. And I think a lot of people identify that as a wedding ceremony. So perhaps if you didn't have that, people might be a bit more confused as to what's going on. Did you actually just get married or not, you know? The ring exchange ritual, again, becoming a lot more popular now that both the bride and the bride or the groom and the groom, both members of the couple wear a ring. And I don't know if that's a generational thing or a man-woman thing, but quite often now, I would say 95% of my, of my um, weddings, both members of the couple wear a ring, which is really nice. And it, it's an excuse for jewellery, right? I saw someone the other day and we were talking about getting married and she was like, I didn't want to get married, but I want the ring. Preach, sister. Who doesn't? And I think that's a really nice thing to do as well. Again, it's something that people are so familiar with in a wedding ceremony that I think if you took it out, people might be a bit confused. And also, you know, even though celebrant ceremonies can be quite out there and wacky, when in my ceremonies, I think it's really important to include these levels of familiarity and these traditional rituals because then it, it's it's familiar to you and your guests so they spend less time questioning what they're watching what they're seeing uh, and and more time listening to what they're hearing do you know what I mean god that sounded bright didn't it impressed myself there and then there are a few others that are a bit more off-piste there's a few other rituals that are a bit more out there I suppose but are really lovely um things to bring into your ceremony to make it super personalized that was for you drew the candle lighting ritual so this is something traditionally would have been in christian catholic or other religious wedding ceremonies but it's a really nice thing to include in a secular ceremony as well when i say secular ceremony i mean non-religious so like a celebrant led ceremony um and often it includes two people or more um lighting a candle and then the couple will use those two candles to light one together. So you've got three candles in total. And it's just a really nice visual symbol of two families or two people coming together to join as one. You can buy candles. They're called unity candles. You can buy candles online that you can have in, like sort of engraved. Or I don't know if you'd engrave it and blazing it, whatever. Um, but you'd have words on there. You'd have maybe a poem on there or your name and the date of your wedding on there. That's really nice. Um, so look, you can look into how you can personalize the candles. Oh, we just go to Ikea, babes. Do you know what I mean? Um, just make sure it's an eight hour burning time. Although my ceremonies are not quite that long. It's a brief ritual. 
it's a nice one. It's also a nice one to include two extra people. Like one of the reasons I always encourage readings in my ceremonies are because it's something for two more, one or two more people to do that aren't perhaps in the wedding party. It's an honour to ask someone to be involved in your ceremony. So I think that's a really nice alternative. Another one is the sand pouring ritual. So sim- similar to the um, the candle in the in what it signifies, it signifies you know sort of two separate entities coming together as one. Um, you'll have a vessel or a vase or something like that in the middle, and then people will perhaps. I mean, it could be significant sand. It could be sand taken from a beach where they grew up, or sand from a beach where they were proposed to, or where they spent their first holiday, or where they're going on honeymoon if they've been there before. Um, and you can use coloured sand as well. So you can, and you can use as many people as you want. So people can come up and just pour the sand into this one vessel. And if you use coloured sand particularly, it can look really pretty. And it's a nice thing to have in your house after the ceremony. It's also a really lovely thing to do if you want to include children or younger people, because it's, you know, they can't break things. And some people frown on children playing with fire. So the candle lighting thing, mm, not so ideal. But the sand thing, who doesn't love sand? Just make sure they don't eat it. Because children do that. Very odd. Hand fasting is another one, which I've done myself. Now it terrifies me. It terrifies me. When people say to me, do you do hand fastings? I'm like, technically, yes. Spiritually, no. Hand fasting is a really, really ancient Celtic tradition. Celtic? Celtic? Oh, um, and it dates back over over 2000 years ago. Uh, and it was it's quite a pagan thing. But it also has Irish connections and, and what's, you know, bits and pieces like that. Um, so essentially, it's the couple themselves that doesn't necessarily involve anyone else. It can do they can bring the, the threads or the ribbons to the couple. But essentially, the ritual itself is the couple. Um, and they will have a, a family member or myself, the celebrant, binding their hands together using a significant ribbon or cord or thread. So when I've done it before, they've had literally four pieces of fabric that um, were just nice pieces of fabric, basically. And they went with the colour scheme. <laughs> they were a deeply shallow couple. <laughs> and But the reason they were doing it was because they'd already got married in COVID. They'd not only legally, but they'd already had like a mini ceremony. So they didn't want to exchange rings. So here's a good example of when an alternative ritual might come into play. So they'd already exchanged rings that everyone knew about it. They'd already had a wedding. Everyone knew about it, but not many people could go. So they were like, what can we do as an alternative to exchanging rings? So we did a hand fasting. So we had four pieces of ribbon and there's a certain technique. This is why it terrifies me. Certain technique where you tie the ribbon to both hands and then you sort of say some nice bollocks about love and things. And um, that's basically... People say to me, Liv, what do you do? I say nice bollocks about love and things, you know. And um, and so I tie it in a certain way. And then as they pull their hands apart, there is a knot. So that is where the phrase tying the knot comes from. There's a whole lot of history to the hand fasting ritual and tying the knot ritual. And it, it is actually very interesting. And again, it's brief. And you know me, I like things that are brief and uh, symbolic. <laughs> Like lovemaking, in case you didn't get that from my... Uh, no, you didn't? No, that wasn't obvious. Okay, I meant lovemaking. Um, other ways I've done it, I've done it for a couple who... Um, they have two dogs 
and they are serious dog parents. Like they're not embarrassed to admit themselves. Hands up. They are obsessed with their pets. They had two dogs at the time of the wedding and one had recently passed. And so I said, well, look, why don't we do a hand fasting ritual with three threads? And those three threads can signify the three dogs because the two that were still with us were ring bearers. So it was the one that was no longer around. And so that was a really nice thing to do. And I explained that and what the significance of it was and what it meant. Um, So that was a nice gesture. And again, it doesn't take long. It's probably a couple of minutes, to be honest. Um, Depends, because obviously my biggest fear in life is that when they pull their hands apart, it doesn't tie the knot. The knot is untied. The marriage is doomed and I have failed them. (laughs) Can you imagine? Oh my God, I just remembered yesterday's ceremony. I dropped the ring. (laughs) They'd already got married. Like everyone knew about it. They'd already had a ceremony um, eight months ago. So I was like, well, it's fine. They're already married. It doesn't mean anything. Ever so professional. Another nice one is the ring warming ritual. So it's another um, Celtic tradition and it goes back again quite a long way. Um, And it's a really lovely one. But again, it can be logistically a bit of a bit of a ball ache. Um, So the idea is, is that the guests put the rings in their hands to bless them. So the rings are warmed up, if you like, ring warming by each guest. They hold it and they, for a moment, they set an intention or a wish for the couple. Uh, religious guests can say a prayer. Um, so it, it is actually a really lovely idea. Of course, in COVID, <laughs> which is when I first learned about it, and you, were, you couldn't even like, not, let alone touch people's hands. Like, can you imagine in, in a COVID wedding, the idea of having a ring warming, like sending a piece of metal around a hundred people just to come back to you full of all the germs for you to then put on your finger for the rest of your life. Like not ideal back then. And still now, some people are very funny about it. In fact, the last time I had one, the mother of the bride was like, I'm warming that shit first. Like that ring's coming to me first. I don't want that last. I don't want all these people's germs in my hands. I suppose symbolically, it the ring doesn't have to be like, on its own, it could be in a box or a bag. Because of course, when I say logistically, it can present problems. What if someone drops it? Can you imagine? And like quite often venues and places where the ceremony takes place it are like old buildings and they have like cracks in the, f- oh my God, could you actually imagine if you were doing a ring warming ceremony and someone dropped the ring and it fell down a crack in the floorboards? What, I can't, I actually feel quite ill thinking about it. And then I said to someone once, you know, it, do you have some absolute lads, some real jokers in the, I was going to say crowd, <laughs> um, that think it would be funny to exchange. To be honest, I think it would be funny to exchange the ring. So when it got to the couple and it's a very serious part, we're about to do the vows and the ring exchange. Someone's replaced it with a Haribo ring. I do. <laughs> I do think that would be quite funny. You have to pick your audience. Um, so logistically... It can be a bit tricky, but I do like the idea of it. And I think it's how you play it. So I've said to people before, you know, if you've got 40 guests and actually the ceremony is going to be a good half an hour, you've got a couple of readings and music and what have you, then we've got time. So I will say it right at the beginning. Um, As soon as the couple are at the altar with me, I'll say, you know, explain what the ring warming ritual means and what you have to do. And then you have the whole ceremony for that ring to work its way around each guest. 
again, the fear, of course, is that it doesn't come back. Can you imagine? Also, if you've got loads, of, if you've got 200 guests, don't do it. There's no point. That, that ring is not going to come back to me in time. And then I'm going to have to go and be like, so sorry, but only half of your guests care. Like they, they're the only half that blessed the ring. This marriage is only going to last half the amount of time it would have done otherwise. Can you imagine? Oh, so it's a lovely one, but it is logistically difficult. The wine box ritual. Now that's my kind of ritual. Except that you don't drink it, which I struggle with. <laughs> I've had this before. I have done this one before with a couple. Again, they were already married, never knew about it. They were big, big into their wine. Big winos. Their favourite holiday was at a vineyard. They collected wine. I think she was doing one of those courses in it, a sommelier course. And um, it was their idea to bring in a bottle of wine from their favourite vineyard. And then it would it was in a case that they'd had engraved with their names and the wedding date. And um, they wouldn't open it until their one year anniversary. Now, some people do 10 year anniversary, but girl, come on. I mean, I would struggle to do a one week anniversary. If I've got a closed bottle of wine in my house, there will, be, there will come a night where the shops are shut and mum, I need a drink. So I will open that bottle of wine. But again, again, you see, that's quite a nice one because it is literally brief. It's literally would be me explaining the significance of the bottle of wine or the bottle of whatever. Probably don't put, you know, WKD in a nice wicker box. Um, and they do it and there's there's applause. Like it's just an it's a nice gesture that can so easily be fitted into the ceremony and not take too much time. Um, and it is something significant for you to then do further on down the road. I just reminded myself of a time that my husband went over to his best friend's house and his best friend had not long got engaged and they were watching the rugby and it, it was a bit of a boozy Sunday afternoon. I was at home looking after the child, you know, because that's what us ladies do. We stay home and we look after the children. That was like four different accents in one. <laughs> so he, I left him and he was having this boozy afternoon with his best mate. Anyway, he comes home pissed and he's got a bottle of wine and on it it's like it's their initials with a heart in the middle and I was like what's this about babe and he was like oh we're in trouble I was like, what do you mean you're in trouble he was like well you know when you, you know when you're drinking at home especially on a Sunday in the shop shut and you run out of booze and you're like well this can't the party can't stop what, what on earth can we do um and so his best mate had opened the bottle of champagne that was from the day he proposed it was bad um and the fiance came down and there's like you know her, her new brand new fiance and his best mate drunk on a sunday afternoon red wine lips and <laughs> um and they'd opened her engagement champagne not cool not cool so if you're gonna keep a bottle of something important hide that shit because my husband will come and he will find it and he will drink it <laughs> there are so many rituals there are so many out there. And do you know what's really fun, actually, is that you can make up your own, literally make up your own. The wine thing that I just spoke about, you know, that was their thing anyway. It, it so happened that it's kind of a thing that people kind of do. But when they told me about their love of wine and, and that they wanted to do a ritual of some sort, we kind of thought, we didn't come up with it, of course, but we were like, okay, well, let's do it this way and that way and that way. So if at any point you, in the journey of creating your perfect ceremony, you think, oh, it would be nice to do something symbolic rather than just words, just readings, just music. 
um, you can either find something, you can do some research and you can find something that you feel is appropriate to you or you can make it up. Like there's no, there are no rules. And who is to say that what you're doing isn't a ritual? So I think what's really important is to stay true to yourself. God, that sounded wanky. <laughs> oh, oh, dear me. I did four hours work today. It's too much. I'm overtired. Um, stay, stay true to your roots. Oh. Um, be authentic. No. Okay. <laughs> I'm going off piste. The, my, the my point is, the point I'm trying to make, I'm making the point, the point is this. The point is, do something that is um, essentially reflective of who you are as a couple. Don't do something for the sake of it. Don't just, I'm, I do not pad out my ceremonies. Like if my ceremonies are short, they're short, but they're brilliant. I'm not going to throw in rituals and generic poems and songs and whatever just to fill the time. That's not my game. So don't just have something because you want something, but you don't know what it is, you know? Also, that's a life lesson for a tattoo. Do you know what I mean? Don't just have something because you want something. It's That's got to mean something. So think about that. And if nothing's jumping out at you and saying, that's so us, then don't do it. You don't have to do it. You know, especially if you have got the traditional vows and rings exchanges, those rituals, they're there. They are symbolic. Just because they're so um, familiar to you and they're so commonly used and understood, it doesn't make them any less fun or any less important, or any less symbolic. But if you find something that you like, um, then tell your celebrant about it. Work with them on on how you can make that even more personal. It's a really nice thing to do. Having said all of that, I don't do a lot. <laughs> Some celebrants are really, really big on rituals. I have done that, like I said, I've done the ring warming, the hand fasting and the wine. So to me, when you when you think Olivia Coleman, you think rituals, I want warm hands, I want food in my mouth, that's not the idea, and I want wine in my box, okay? <laughs> this is what happens when I have to re-record and I, I just talk off the cuff. I hope you have the most wonderful week. If you've got any questions or you want to tell me any of your stories, I would love to hear from you. I love that you're listening. People are listening. Isn't that, isn't that absurd? Have a great week, guys, and I'll speak to you soon. Take care. Bye. I'll Marry You is a podcast by Olivia Coleman. The music is Mr. Sunnyface by Wayne Jones, and the show is produced and edited by Drew Toynbee.